since it was so hot about two weeks ago, well, it's still hot, but we lost air condition for about four days, and Mary and I decided we're going to get out of Texas for a while. We're going to Colorado where it's nice and cool, and so we left the kids at home in the heat. It's all right, right? Uh, we had a plan to go to Colorado, and uh, one of the things that Mary has never gotten to do is she's never climbed a mountain. I've been able to climb some mountains. I've gone on wilderness trek when I was in high school, and then I uh, climbed mountains going on wilderness trek when I was a youth minister. Our students are getting to go do that at the end of this month, and Mary wanted to go and climb a mountain. And so we went to, uh, to outside of Boulder, Colorado, and if you see the bottom left picture right here, you see these two little mountains. Well, the one on the left is not necessarily a mountain because it's too close to the one on the right, but both of them are about 13,000 feet. Well, the one on the left is 13,000, the one on the right is about 13,500. And so those are big mountains that you go, at least in Texas, they would, they, that, that's quite a, quite a little summit. That's the truck that we rented, and we climbed that mountain. And as we climbed up to that first one, I get to this mountain top, and you can go both go two ways. You can go and climb a taller mountain to the to the right, or you can go and climb an even taller mountain to the left. And I looked at this place and I said, "This is good for me right here at thirteen thousand feet." I was pretty happy. But Mary wanted to climb an actual mountain, so the one on the right is Mount Cupid, and. I started thinking about whenever I've climbed mountains, the saddest part is you get to the top and you, then you just have to go down pretty quickly. So as I was thinking about if I climbed over to that one, Mount Cupid, then I'd have to climb this one again and go back down, or I can bless all of you and myself and spend time with God on the mountain for 45 minutes. And so as you see my, key, my feet kicked up, I'm on the mountaintop. There's this nice little chair and Mary goes over to Mount Cupid and I spend 45 minutes sitting and looking out in all of God's glory. And I got to spend that time singing to God. I got to spend that time praying for, to God. I prayed for my life. I prayed for several of you. I prayed for our congregation. And it was a wonderful 45 minutes that I spent meeting God on this mountain. And just whenever you get and you see all of God's majesty, I know it doesn't do it justice in that picture, but you just see other mountains and you just see God's world and you just see how great his majesty is. It makes you want to glorify God and it's a great place to meet with God. Now, there's not just physical mountains that we climb to meet with God, but there are spiritual mountains that we can climb to meet with God. And both can be difficult, and both can be so rewarding. Monday, we got back from Colorado from our little trip where we went hiking every day. And then we went to, on Tuesday, Vacation Bible School. That's a whole different kind of mountain, right? Here in these flat areas of East Texas, we had 50 elementary students and younger that came to Chandler Street. And this was the first time that I taught elementary students in oh, at least 18 years. I did it when I was at Camp Deer Run many years ago, but uh, uh, being with the youth group and, and, uh, and, and in preaching, I don't really have that many opportunities to teach these young kids. And I had a group of about 25, and it was incredible to talk to them about God, to tell them stories that, 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 that Jesus would tell in the parables, and I got to listen to them and hear them grow and learn about Christ. 
It was a spiritual mountain I felt like I was climbing, connecting with these kids about Jesus. And the pinnacle came whenever I drove the kids out to M&M Farms and I was driving them back and, and I was letting off the first group of kids and probably about five kids got off the bus. And then this one little girl, probably five years old, as I'm sitting at the driver's seat, she decides to give me a hug. How sweet is that, right? And then every other kid after that, I wasn't prompting it in any way, gives me a hug. I was so blessed to be able to teach the gospel to these young children. And then I was blessed by God to find the love of these little kids. How loving they are. And showed that, that, that they appreciated the message that was taught to them. And they appreciated the love that God is showing them through the Chandler Street congregation. This summer, our theme comes from Psalm 121. And Psalm 121 is a psalm called a psalm of ascent. This is a song that the Jewish people would sing as they were going to Jerusalem on one of their many festivals that they would go every year. They would sing this song. And as it's called a psalm of ascent because they're walking up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem is up in the mountains or there's mountains that surround Jerusalem. That goes with the song that we sang earlier today. As the mountains surround Jerusalem, so the Lord surrounds his people. Why were the Jewish people going to Jerusalem? Because they were connecting with God. As they go up into Jerusalem, they connect with God on some sort of level. And they would sing this song. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. He will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going, both now and forevermore. As the Jewish people were going to Jerusalem, they always say they're going up to Jerusalem, even though uh, they were coming from Galilee in the north, but they were ascending up. And they say, I lift my eyes to the mountain. Where does my help come from? It's not a physical place that your, their help comes from but their help comes from God and connecting with God. And this summer, I want us to see what we can do to find a stronger connection with God. And in order to do that, sometimes we've got to climb mountains and we've got to be prepared and we've got to meet God at certain places. We can't always just do the routine because the routine, sometimes we just get in the middle of it and we forget all of God's grandeur. All of God's majesty. And so, sometimes it takes a little bit more effort on our part to meet God on the mountain. And what do happens when we meet God? When we connect with God? Our God hears our cries for help. He hears the, our, our groans for this journey, which is so, so often so tough in this life. In Exodus chapter, chapter 3, Excuse me, Exodus chapter 2, verse 23, it says, The Israelites groaned in their slavery. And Jaime told a little bit of the story uh, to, to the kids of how the Israelites were enslaved by the Egyptians. 
how they were, had, were called to build these pyramids, how they were called to, to, to do manual labor for the king of Egypt. And they groaned in their slavery. They called out and they cried, and their cry for help was because, their slave, because of their slavery. Their cries went up to God and God heard their groaning and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. I lift my eyes to the, to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from God. God hears us when we're struggling. God hears us when we cry out to him. And what's beautiful is God already understands what we're going to go through. And God in all of his providence is working to provide us help. And for the Israelites, God has raised a man named Moses. He's raised a man. He's, he's put him in the, in the right position. Now, Moses is not a perfect person. Moses is not with the Israelites right now because Moses has a sinful past. But God's going to use even sinful people to do his will. And one day, God meets Moses on the mountain. In Exodus chapter 3, verse 1, it says, Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the, to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, which is also known as the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire from within a bush. And Moses saw that the bush was on fire, but it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up. Moses is tending his flock on Mount Horeb. And as he's going around, he's looking out into the wilderness or out on the mountain. And he sees this bush, and this bush is on fire, but the bush is not burning up. And so that's a strange sight. So Moses goes to check out what this is all about. And what's happening is on this mountain, on this mountain of God, God is going to meet with Moses. And he's going to let him know that he hears his people's cry. And he's going to let Moses know that he's the one that's going to help lead them out of slavery. In verse 7 it says, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. So I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians, to bring them out of the land into a good spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. God meets Moses on the mountain. And why does he meet him there? Because God wants to help his people. And he wants to use his people that he's brought up to help others. And God says he is going to come down. Down to this mountain and meet with his people and help his people and deliver his people. In chapter 19, verse 2 it says, Israel camped there in the desert in front of, of the mountain. Then Moses went up to God and the Lord God called him from the mountain and said, this is what you are to, to say to the descendants of Jacob and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt, how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. 
Now, if you obey me and fully keep my command, my covenant, then out of all nations, you will be my treasured possession. Moses has brought the people from Egypt all the way to this mountain. And what's the mountain that Moses has brought the people to? We know it is Mount Sinai. But Mount Sinai actually has two names. Mount Sinai is Mount Horeb, and it's also the mountain of God. So I guess three names, right? This is exactly where Moses had first met with God at the, at the burning bush, and now Moses has gone and he's freed the people out of Egypt. And God has told the people that he has brought them out, and he's carried them on the wings of eagles. And maybe in the church we make things sound like if you give your life to Christ, if you're baptized into Him and you're, you're raised a Christian, you come to church and, and you're a faithful member of the Lord's church, everything in your life will be fine. And you'll just cruise through this life like on the wings of eagles. We skipped a whole lot of the story where it seemed not such an easy, majestic ride, right? If we remember the story of the Israelite people and Moses going to the people, there were all these plagues that the, that the people had to go through. They had to escape across the Red Sea. What seems like a majestic flight is pretty bumpy, right? And I bet that would be kind of Scary to ride on the back of an eagle. If you ever look, watch the Lord of the Rings or, or read that book, it, it doesn't sound so easy, right, on these giant eagles. That's, what, that's the imagery I, I get. But the whole time, God is taking care of his people. And it's all about trust. And so what God has done is he now brings them to this mountain, the same mountain where he makes this promise with Moses. And he tells the people, if you continue to keep my covenant... then you will be my chosen people, my chosen nation, my treasured possession. But if we're going to meet with God, we have to do something about our lives. We have to be prepared to meet God because we have an almighty God, a glorious God, a majestic God, and then we are flawed people. In verse 10, the Lord says to Moses, Go to the people and have and consecrate them today and tomorrow. Have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all people. God wants to be with his people. God wants to dwell with his people. It's been since the Garden of Eden that God has dwelled with his people. And so God's saying, you need to prepare yourself. You need to wash your clothes. When I think about preparing our, my, myself to, to meet with God, it, it, I get this image of my life and God's li- and, and who God is, who I am and who God is, and I come seriously flawed. I couldn't find it, but there, there, was, there was a commercial, an old dog food commercial that I used to show in, in my, when I was a youth minister. 
And it's this dog that just rolls around in the mud and then he runs into this house and he goes into this pristine white bedroom with a beautiful white down comforter and white carpet and everything is, is beautiful and white and this dog just starts rolling around on the bed. And when I saw that, I thought that's the image of us and God. How can we be connected with God when we have so much filth that's still in our lives? Well, Scripture often talks about what it means to wash our clothes. And at the time, it wasn't as easy to, to throw your clothes in the washer like, like we do today. Uh, it, it probably took a little bit more time. And so the people didn't always wash their clothes like we do today, obviously. But God wanted his people to look differently. He wanted his people to be set apart. He's always wanted his people to look different than what this world is. And last, last uh, summer, I, I got this visual picture of what it was like to wash our clothes, to, to be pure in God's sight. I was visiting the old church in Sardis that's written about in Revelation. And in Revelation chapter 3, verse 1, God talks about washing their clothes. It says, this is the message from the one who has the sevenfold spirit of God and the seven stars. I know all the things you do, that you have a reputation for being alive, but you're dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains, for even what is left is almost dead. Yet there are some of you in the church of Sardis who have not soiled their clothes with evil. They walk with me in white, for they are worthy. All who are victorious will be clothed in white. I will never erase their name from the book of life, but I will announce before my Father and His angels that they are mine. We read this scripture while I was in Sardis, and we read it right on this little hilltop looking over an old Roman bathhouse, latrine. And this passage might sound a little foul to most of us, and I think it's written in there because it's intended for us to realize what's going on in our life. That we're living like the world. We're living in filth instead of being washed white in the blood of Christ. And one of the practices that the, people, the Romans would do is right in that latrine right there. This is probably the latrine that God is talking about that the Romans would collect the liquid waste from the latrine. And they would wash their clothes in it because they thought that was the best way to wash their clothes. And so when we get pictures of the Roman soldiers, we might see them as bright white, but no, they were dingy and pale and yellow. And the Jewish people knew that that wasn't right. God has shown them a different way. And yet the world is so polluted. That was a visual image he was given to the people in Sardis. And this is the image he gives to us. Don't be like the world. The world is just going in a different direction. And what God is telling us is we've got to wash our clothes. We've got to be white. We've got to be pure. And if we're going to prepare to meet God, if we're going to want God's help, if we're able to meet with God on this mountain, we've got to have our clothes changed and washed. And one of the things that he does for us is he gives us these commands. In Exodus chapter 20, verse 1, it says, Then God gave the people these instructions. I am the Lord your God, 
who rescued you from the land of Egypt, the place of your slavery. So God gives the people, and they hear his, his commands. He tells them ten commands of what they need to do to follow him. And one of the things that Jesus does is he makes these ten commands pretty easy for us. He tells us these ten commands, there's really two commands, and these ten commands basically fit in two commands, loving God and loving people. And so for the first four commands, they're all about loving God. And the last six commands, they're about loving people. And so what I want us to do is to realize these are the commands that God gives us. And so let's look at the first four commands. This is pretty easy for us to, to memorize. Pretty easy for us to understand. It says, there's one God. He wants us to have no idols. He wants us to honor God's name and honor God's day. Four commands. One God, there's no other God out there. He doesn't want us to have idols, things that we, that we, that we worship other than him. When we speak about God, we should speak about him in an, in an honoring way to show his love, show his, his majesty, show his glory. And God gives us a day that we can honor him. And we do this on today. It's, it's different. The, the Sabbath was made for, for man so that man could rest, but it's also made for us to glorify God. And this is a great day. We can honor the day of God. So let's say all this together. One God, no idols, honor God's name, honor God's day. Let's do it again. One God, no idols, honor God's name, honor God's day. Easy enough, right? That's all about loving God. And then he says we've got to love people. And so let's go over to loving people. And these things just make sense to us. Honor your parents. As parents, we always uh, we, we, we realize why these kids aren't listening to us, right? But then we remember when we were kids, did we honor our parents? But we're, we're called to honor our parents, show them respect. Then he tells us how we work with our neighbor. Three things that we're not supposed to do to our neighbor. We're not supposed to take our neighbor's life. We're not supposed to take our neighbor's spouse. And we're not supposed to take our neighbor's things. We're not called to lie. And we're not called to covet. We should be satisfied with what we have been given in life. Let's do this one. Honor parents. Take our neighbor's life, spouse, or things. Don't lie. Don't covet, all right? Honor parents. Don't take your neighbor's life, spouse, or things. Don't lie. Don't covet. Easy enough, right? God tells the people these things. And these should be easy things for us to follow. Most of us would agree with God on, on this saying, yeah, these are all wonderful things that we should do in life. All of us should honor our parents. All of us should not lie. We should be happy with our lot in life. We shouldn't take from our neighbor. We know these things. And yet we still break these commands. These simple commands that God has put out for us. We can't be perfect. And when the people saw God and they heard these commands... And they saw God come down from the mountain to meet them. In verse 18, it says, 
when the people saw the thunder and lightning and heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear. They stayed at a distance and said to Moses, speak to us yourself. We will listen, but do not have God speak to us or we will die. And Moses said, do not be afraid. God has come to test you so that you, that the fear of God will be with you and keep you from sinning. This might have been one of the saddest parts of Scripture, where God has come down to dwell with His people. This almighty, all-powerful God has come to dwell with His people. And the people said, I, I don't want to dwell with God. You speak to us. I, we, we can't have God with us. We're too imperfect. And so these Israelites wander through the desert for another generation. And they don't have this relationship with God. And the thing is, God understood that. And from the beginning of, of time, from the beginning of creation, before the world was created, God had a plan. And his plan was to offer us a chance to meet with him. Maybe on a different mountain. And I love how the author of Hebrews tells us how we can meet with God. In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 18, it says, You've not come to a physical mountain, a place of flaming fire, darkness, gloom, whirlwind, as the Israelites did on Mount Sinai. When the Israelites approached God on the mountain, they heard the, the commands, they realized that they were going to be unacceptable in God's sight. They were able to wash their clothes physically, but they knew the sin and the filth that was in their life. They knew that they weren't fully able to make God their Lord. But God had a different plan. He had a different mountain for them to connect with Him at. He says, no, in verse 22, you've come to Mount Zion, to a city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and countless and thousands of angels in joyful gathering. He says, you come to God himself, who is the judge over all things. You've come to the spirits of righteous ones in the heavens who have been made perfect. He says, you have come to Jesus the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and the sprinkled blood that speaks forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. God has come to meet you on this mountain, but what he needs us to do is to prepare ourselves. And he's given us the perfect sacrifice. God came down from the mountain, just like, just like on Mount Sinai where he comes and he rests on the mountain. God comes down in the form of Jesus Christ. And Jesus lives this life and he shows us how to live a perfect life on this earth. How to show love to God and love to people. Jesus humbles himself. He becomes obedient. Even obedient unto death. And he gives his life for us so that his blood doesn't bring vengeance of God, but it gives us forgiveness of our sins. And so the same message is for us today. We need to change our clothes. At Camp Deer Run, 
Anytime we had a baptism, we sang this song, the best thing in my life I ever did do was to take off the old robe and put on a new. And what happens is we can take off our old robe. We can, we can take off this old way of, of life and we can devote ourselves to God and we can accept His forgiveness as we're washed in His blood. As we're made white as snow. In order to meet God, it takes preparation. It takes a lot of washing. But it takes our willingness to change our robe, to change our clothes, so that we can not just live in this world, but we can live as He wants us to live, with Jesus Christ in our life. Are you willing to meet God on this mountain? Are you willing to be prepared and wash your clothes? If there's anything we can do for you today, if you want to be baptized into Him, please come while we stand and sing.